Hey gang, Vadim here from the DIY Recording Guys. You're about to listen to episode two where Ben and I break down the entire digital recording signal path in order to set up our discussions about gear in the upcoming weeks. I also want to let you guys know that I've just released a free DIY recording ebook. It's over 70 pages of material, including descriptions and diagrams and pictures. It goes through what gear you need to record yourself or your band, how to use that gear, and generally how to prepare yourself to, to get the most value out of your DIY productions. If you're interested in that, again, it's totally free. Uh, just head over to howtorecordyourband.com, all one word. Uh, you'll put in your email address, and then you get a download link. And in the upcoming weeks, you get a couple of additional emails with specific gear recommendations for 2020. Cheers. Enjoy the episode. You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, DIY Recording Guys podcast, episode number two. Ben, how's it going? It's going great, Vadim. How you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I do want to mention briefly our uh, our snafu last week, episode one or two weeks ago, whenever it was we were recording it. The minute we hit stop, both Ben and oh. I had like DAW issues <laughs> where it looked like we both lost our sessions, uh, which is, even while it was happening and I was pretty upset, the irony of doing a audio production podcast and having an issue like that was not lost on me. It was uh, yeah, pretty comical. But long story short, we have everything. So good news there. Yeah, crazily, we both, I think both, well, your, your uh, digital audio workstation froze, right? No, mine just, the whole file, the whole waveform looks like it disappeared. Yeah. Oh. So yours all disappeared and my computer crashed and I knew it was going to crash because... <laughs> There's this bug that happens when my computer goes into sleep mode because uh, we we talked for so long without me moving the mouse that it just went straight into sleep mode. And uh, I know anytime that happens and I'm in the middle of a session, I'm like, oh, I got to save everything because I'm going to get the blue screen of death, which I did. And thankfully, I saved because I was able to bring up uh, a file that wasn't corrupted. That's, I mean, we'll get into that, I think, not too far down the road as far as uh, how to ensure that you don't lose any data, uh, how to back up your stuff. That'll be, that'll be for another episode and another day. But I, I have found um, since getting into recording, you would think that whenever you buy all this professional gear that, oh, you don't have to worry about crashes anymore. Those days are long gone. I feel like I have to worry about it more now than I did w when I had my simple setup. Do you feel the same way? I don't know. My 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 setup's been pretty good to me. Yeah. Uh, I don't really use this computer for anything other than this is really just my my audio computer and it's it's been pretty reliable. I can't I don't have too many complaints. Well, that's Every now good. and then I'll run into issues, but yeah, it's been it's been good. I run into issues with um and maybe we'll get into this next week with um some of the content that we'll be talking about, but I've run into issues with uh third-party software that I'm using in my digital audio workstation and sometimes it doesn't play well together and uh, so it'll cause like all kind of issues but anyways yeah we we salvaged everything so we didn't have to record it over again uh 
Yeah, yes, we, yes. we avoided a big one there. <laughs> That's right. And this is kind of a nice segue into this week's episode. Uh, we're talking about the digital recording process this week. So last week was kind of an introduction. Ben and I introduced ourselves and kind of explained what we were, what we were about and how we got into this whole mess of digital recording. And today we're actually going to go through the digital recording process step by step. And if you're familiar with the process, you know, it'll be a nice refresher for you on kind of where the signal goes and what happens to it. If you're completely new to it, this is this is perfect because you really get to understand what's happening at every stage. And as we talk about every stage of the signal process, it gives us an opportunity to talk about the gear we use, which is then going to segue into next week's episode. Spoiler yes. alert. Yes. Okay. So in this episode, we're going to start, I kind of, <laughs> I like to get a little philosophical here and think about, you know, audio at a high level, right? What you're doing is you're taking information from your brain, these crazy ideas that spark in your brain for songs, and you're taking it through a series of steps to be able to manipulate it. And then eventually it comes out of the speakers and gets into other people's brains, which is kind of cool. It's really, a, it's like a language, right? It's a way to transfer information from your brain to lots of other brains. And so that's hmm. kind of be kind of the, the path we follow today. We're going to use vocals as an example. So great. I love it. All right. So talk about vocals. So if, if, uh, if you were in this room with me right now and you could visualize sound, you would see waves emanating from my mouth. And Ben, you used this example, I think you used this analogy last week of dropping a pebble into a lake. If yeah. you drop a pebble into a lake, you see ripples emanating from where you drop the pebble in all directions. And it's really a nice analogy for audio. Sound is just travels through uh, waves uh, in the air. So air is made up of molecules, and it, when we when we make a sound, it those ripples go out and... Uh, bounce off of surfaces and they behave a lot like waves. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a that's kind of mechanical energy, right? That's waves, that's that's physical particles moving around in the air. What we want to do when we want to capture audio is we need a way to capture that energy, those waves. And to do that, we first need to convert them into an electrical signal. So we do this with a device called a transducer or a more common term is a microphone. So if you think about what a microphone is doing, it's sensing those waves in the air molecules and it's converting them into an electrical signal. And we know this is true because there's a wire that plugs into the back of the microphone and wires are used to transfer electrical energy. So that's what our microphone does. And that's actually, when we talk about that, that's also like what a guitar pickup is doing. Um, all these different things are basically transducers. They're converting mechanical energy into electrical energy. And that's great. But now we have a really weak electrical signal. And we can't really do much with a really weak electrical signal. So we need to boost the amplitude of that signal. We need to make it a little bit stronger. So we plug our microphone into a preamp. And what a preamp does is just takes that weak signal and it amplifies it. It makes it a little bit stronger. And in some cases, preamps can actually color our sound a little bit, which means they add certain harmonics or certain characteristics, which can be pleasant. And that's why people talk about, you know, different preamps kind of giving different character to the sound. But 
from just, just looking at the basics, the basic premise behind a preamp is to take a weak signal and make it a little bit stronger. And you'll hear these terms, uh, instrument level, mic level versus line level. So an instrument level or a microphone level signal, that's our weak signal. That's the signal that's coming out of the microphone or out of the guitar pickup. And the preamp is taking us up to the second level, which is line level, which is a little bit of a stronger signal. All right, so now we have a strong signal, and it's, an, it's still an analog signal. What that means is that if you were to draw that signal, if you were to draw that wave, you could draw it in a continuous line. Like if you were drawing it with a pencil, you could draw it without lifting your pencil off of the paper. It's a continuous signal. The problem is that we ultimately want to get that signal into a computer, and computers don't really speak analog. Computers work on the principle of ones and zeros, which are like little switches, like a light switch you could think about. A light switch has only two positions. It's either on or it's off, and that's kind of the language that computers understand. So the next thing we need to do with our line-level signal is put it into an analog-to-digital converter or an AD converter. And that converter now takes our signal and makes it digital. And that's great. Now we can travel out of that converter and into our computer, finally. And so we're doing a couple of things with the computer. The first thing we're doing is we're saving that information, right? So we can save the information to the hard drive. With an analog recording systems, we used to record stuff to tape. Um, and now we are recording stuff to the computer's hard drive. So that digital information gets saved. Now we can also manipulate it or view it. Let's say we can view it through a digital audio workstation, which is just a piece of software that runs on your computer. Uh, the analogy here that I like to use is Photoshop, right? So if you've taken a photo and you want to manipulate it in some fancy ways, you want to add filters or layers, you use a program like Photoshop. Well, for audio, it's the same thing. We've captured some raw sound. To manipulate it, we use a digital audio workstation or a piece of software that lets us interact with the sound and kind of view it, touch it, manipulate it. Um, and then through that digital audio workstation, we can do something called digital signal processing, which is basically a fancy way of saying effects and um, yeah, processors. So like, you know, an example of an analog signal processor would be like a guitar pedal. Right? I plug my guitar into a distortion pedal, it changes the signal. So in the digital world, we, digital world, we use digital signal processing. So I can use things like plugins or whatever uh, software comes you know, with, with my computer, with my DAW to process that signal. Um, and again, we can, we can save our, our, process, our processed signals um, and hear them after they've been processed or before they've been processed. I think your example Fine. there was really good too. I, I don't mean to interject, but... Um, no, no, go ahead. Uh, as far as uh, talking about manipulating the raw audio that we've done, I think a helpful thing to to tell listeners if they don't already know this, because um, it was brand new to me when I first started recording, is a lot of these plugins, processors that you can use to manipulate audio, they are direct emulations or examples of analog gear that exists in the real world and people took mm. that because it was more convenient and turned it into software to manipulate. So a lot of these things, and I thought your guitar pedal 
example as a plugin or distortion is a great example of this. A lot of these plugins, they um, they represent something in the real world. So you can think of them in that way. It's not just this abstract way of, why would we do this to the signal? And we can get into that a little bit later. But a lot of it is very similar to, um, if you're a guitar player, the way that you would affect your, uh, your signal, whether that's a compressor or a reverb, any of those things. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, absolutely. And and even with actually with that example with guitar pedals, you can get plugins that emulate guitar pedals. And there's a lot of advantages to that. Like for example, you mentioned this last week as well as recallability, right? So the fact that I can, you know, if I if I just have a single guitar pedal and I turn the knobs a certain way and I record something, Three months later, I've probably moved the knobs, and it's hard for me to remember what settings I used for a recording. The nice thing about digital is if I open up my DAW, my digital audio workstation, I can see the exact settings I used on a plugin that maybe emulates that guitar pedal. Hmm. So that's one advantage. Another advantage is you can have multiple instances of that same guitar pedal. If I have four different guitar tracks, I can use. I may only have one guitar pedal in real life, but I can insert an emulation of that guitar pedal as many times as I want onto those channels. So there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of advantages to, to working digitally. Um, yeah, so, so at this point, we've, we've done our, our signal processing. We've hopefully manipulated the audio in a way that we find pleasant and true to our initial vision. Now it's time to get that information back out into the airwaves so we can listen to it and our friends can listen to it. Uh, so we do that again through, we had before we had an AD converter, right? Analog to digital. Now we're doing the opposite. We're converting that information from digital information back to analog information. So you might have guessed we use a DA converter. So now we have, now we're back to line level analog signal. And that's great. Except the problem is that line level is still, it's stronger than our instrument level or microphone level, but it's still not quite strong enough to do something like move a speaker a speaker coil, right? So to move a speaker coil to actually move air takes quite a bit of energy. So we may need another form of amplification. So here we use a power amplifier, and that takes us from a line level signal to speaker level signal, which is an even stronger signal. It's kind of our third tier of signal strength. So at the bottom, we have instrument level or microphone level. The middle stage is line level. And then the top stage is, we'll say, speaker level. Um, So that speaker level signal then actually moves a speaker cone back and forth uh, and is able to move that way. the, uh, The speaker cone is able to move the air molecules around it. And again, that creates waves and then those waves travel to our ears. And then our ears, I like to think of as transducers as well, right? Because they're taking that, uh, again, that mechanical energy of vibrating air molecules and converts them into these uh, weak electrical signals that our brains can understand. So that's a kind of a round-trip journey, right? It started mm-hmm. in our brain with an idea, and we've done all this stuff to it, and then it ends up back in our brains, which I think is kind of cool. That's amazing, and a uh, great overview of the signal process chain. Well, thanks, Ben. Yeah, that was awesome. It, it is, and it's such a magical thing. Um, I think it's maybe interesting to mention or talk about, you know, why 
why go through all this trouble of processing things, especially whenever it comes to computers? Because uh, using computers to manipulate audio is a relatively new thing. Uh, it's only been around for the better part, well, just a few decades, really, half a century yep. max. Um, and I, th I think the biggest reason uh, for using computers is that it just makes everything, well, a couple things. It's way more convenient, and you basically have unlimited storage. Because the biggest problem with the old way of doing recording, uh, I mean, it ultimately comes down to expense, but you had to have reels and reels of analog tape to, to save the amount of tracks that you would do. Not to mention uh, the amount of time it would take to edit everything. And yeah, that's what I was... So yeah, first of all, tape is expensive. If you've ever looked up, like even... I think it's always been expensive. So you had to really mind your, your storage. And uh, second of all, tape breaks down over time. Uh, so you have that to, to worry about. But I, I like what you said at the end there with editing. I mean, to me, that's one of the biggest things is the fact that, I mean, you know, cutting tape, people used to cut tape with razor blades and like paste it back together. And that was a bit of an art. The fact that I can just zoom in in Pro Tools now and hit undo, right? The fact yeah. that I can undo things three times yeah. is like worth, uh, that's that's like the end of the story in a lot of ways. I mean, the, the beef people had with digital audio for a long time was the sound quality and, and there's still a case to be made for, for tape and for analog, but I think it's gotten good enough now that it, um, I don't think it's as much of a discussion anymore. You know, a lot of it, the, the, the kind of the, we've, we've passed the critical point there, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'll even, I'll even bring up too, I don't know if I even have the exact answer to this question, but why was uh, computer manipulated audio uh, seen as inferior to analog audio? Like, do we want to tackle that at all or even just mention it? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I think that, you know, a good reason behind that was before computing power got powerful enough you were limited on uh how how many samples you could take of a give a given audio file and what that means is if you think of maybe the easiest analogy to think of this is if the language that computers read is ones and zeros you can think of that as a switch on and switch off it's it's much more uh, stepladder looking. So if you had to explain what a wave looked like in a language a computer could understand, you essentially are trying to get this stepladder looking version of a wave and the higher resolution you can get, the same way with a uh, an ultra high definition TV looks super smooth because your pixels are very tiny mm. uh, versus what 240 pixels uh you know if you have a low quality video it just looks awful because the pixelation is so bad and the same thing is true of digital audio like it can sound so bad when your resolution isn't good enough and not only that but um it took a while for computers to be able to get powerful enough to run programs and software that were able to handle and manipulate and uh, 
emulate what analog gear was doing because analog is a direct you're taking the analog s- signal that's captured through electricity through a vibrating diaphragm on a microphone and transferring it directly to another analog medium which was the tape so you had no signal degradation and you could immediately reproduce that and i think that that's what took a long time to figure out with computers and now we're essentially to the point where you can't tell the difference where even though there is that yeah. pixelation and uh, translation of language from analog to digital, I mean, you pr- probably even the trained ear can't even tell the difference anymore, I would venture to say. Yeah, I, I think you're right exactly about the, the early days of audio. I think there was an issue with getting an accurate enough representation of the initial, you know, of the, of the waveform, and that's certainly... I think that problem was eventually resolved and there was still a case to be made for analog because other than just, uh, the other thing analog gear does is it kind of, you'll hear the term, you know, it's warm or whatever. It it kind of behaves non-linearly in a way. So, you know, when we process things digitally, it's, it's really just math equations. We're, we're kind of, it's kind of very sterile and precise in a sense. Yeah. Whereas analog gear imparts all these harmonics and it kind of has, you know, a, a kind of a character of its own. If you think about like a guitar signal that's slightly overdriven, right? That's what we talk about when we're talking about harmonics. And so all these pieces of analog gear people used to use in including tape would impart this kind of warmth or a little bit of overdrive and some harmonics. And so even when digital got, I think, good at representing the true sound, it was still lacking that kind of warmth and saturation that that people were used to. And so there was a lot of complaints about it sounding harsh and whatnot. But like you said, as as computer processing power has improved and these companies are making better and better emulations of, of analog gear, they're starting to include some of these nonlinear behaviors and some of these pleasant harmonic overtones and yeah i mean totally i think i mean i listen to a lot of shootouts because i you know it's a nice Mm -hmm. time wasting activity for me (laughs) so what is a shootout in case people don't know what a shootout is yeah right so a shootout would be like if i have a piece of hardware like i have a hardware compressor and then i have the plug-in version of that compressor let's say um you know i would process the same bit of audio through both of those systems so one is analog one is digital and then just compare the outputs and just see which one I liked better. And it doesn't have to be, you know, you could shoot out two pieces of hardware as well or two microphones. Um, but yeah, it's starting to become harder and harder to to see the analog advantage. Although in, in some cases, you can make the case that it's, it's still there a little bit. All right. So why is this important to our listeners? Uh, you out there that are listening that want to record your own songs, uh, whether you're a solo artist or in a band. So one of the cool things is the way I grew up learning audio was mostly through digital as, as far as it comes to recording. And the cool thing is, is I kind of learned the opposite way of a lot of people, um, especially that are running studios now, uh, because they got to play with the analog gear versions first, and then there's all these digital emulations. So a lot of people, whenever you see them doing shootouts or talking about this, they're talking about from the aspect of, oh, I love this analog gear. Is this digital stuff good enough yet to, to go for it? Where I grew up and I only know the like digital versions of these, of these things. And I have a buddy that has bought a lot of, if not the actual analog gear, um, 
other companies that do their own knockoff versions of these analog pieces, whether those be preamps, compressors, uh, mostly mostly preamps and compressors, but also some other analog gear as well. And it was really cool to go into his studio and his space and play around with some of the actual analog versions of these plugins that I grew up learning on and getting to see, you know, how does the actual real thing differ in comparison to, you know, what we have in computers now. And I think the good news is for all of you out there that want to record, there really isn't that big of a difference. Like, at least not enough so that 99% of people that are listening to just uh, uh, to just enjoy music, they're not ever going to be able to tell the difference. So I would say you don't really need to worry about the analog stuff. You don't need to worry about going out there and spending that much money. The, uh, the good news at the end of the day is you can really get started with what you've got right now and the resources you have. This stuff is readily available to pretty much anybody. Yeah, definitely. In fact... I mean, the, the the thing is like you can, your DAW, if whatever DAW you end up selecting is going to come with stock plugins, you can absolutely get professional, high quality sounding stuff with those plugins. But at the same time, you know, I had some pieces of analog gear and the way I look at it is kind of like, why do we do this, right? We we do this because we love it. And there is something to be said. It You know, it's fun. I, I get the appeal of having some gear and like being able to turn some knobs and see some lights and kind of, you know, grab some things in your hands and move them around and hear a change in the sound. So, you know, I think ultimately I'm biased in the same direction you are, where it's like, yeah. we need to be smart. But at the same time, you know, if you if there's something you're really interested in or you're really into, it's like, yeah, you know, it, it, it's fun. Ultimately, it's kind of like some people buy a BMW, right? My Honda Civic takes me to work just as well. But, you know, there's something to be said for having a, a car that you enjoy, and yeah. that takes you to work, right? So anyway, no. we can get into a little bit more of that in the next episode when we actually talk about the pieces of gear. So for this episode, uh, to kind of start wrapping it up a bit, we mentioned some things that may be a little foreign to you, things, things like AD converters and DA converters. So I want to tie some of that signal chain back into pieces of gear and what kind of what, uh, what part of the... what gear is responsible for each part of the chain. So we talked about the microphone. The microphone is responsible for transferring energy from mechanical energy to electrical energy. Uh, when we talk about preamps and converters, those commonly are packaged together these days in something called an interface. So you may have heard this, this term. There's um, different kinds of interfaces. There's you know USB interfaces, Thunderbolt interfaces, um, there's Ethernet interfaces and so on. So an interface is a nice way of packaging uh, these couple of things together. So a lot of times you can plug your microphone directly in into an interface, so it has preamps, and it also converts it into digital. So then coming out of that interface, you can plug directly into your computer and uh, they're speaking the same language. And it does the same thing in the opposite direction. So it takes the digital information from the computer and then spits out some analog that you can route to your speakers or your headphones or whatever you're using to to listen to the sound then there's the computer the computer we talked about as well for one thing it's your storage device right so that's what tape used to do we're using the computer's hardware or a hard drive or solid state drive or whatever we're using to actually store the information 
And we're also using a computer monitor, not a studio monitor or speaker. We're using the computer monitor to be able to touch and inter interact with our recorded sound. And what else, Ben? What else does a computer do? I'm trying to think if I got everything here. Uh, you also have, I guess, the CPU and the RAM. Right. Um, the just the processing yeah. power. Yep. The processing power. Right. So that's kind of, so we got these couple of pieces, you know, we talked about the signal chain piece, piece by piece. If we were talking about this on a kind of a zoomed out level, you have a microphone that you plug into an interface. The interface plugs into a computer and also your listening system, your headphones or your speakers also plug into that interface. And there's kind of that two-way flow of information between the interface and the computer. Yeah. I think uh, a helpful way of looking at an interface, and this is too simplistic because Vadim just gave a way better explanation, but I always tell people that an interface is an external sound card, essentially. Now, it, it does more than that, but when I, uh, when I built my recording setup, I foolishly bought my interface and a sound card without realizing <laughs> that I didn't need the sound card because your interface takes care of that. So if you know anything about the internals of a computer and how it works, a lot of times you want to buy an upgraded sound card for, you know, high definition audio, but an interface essentially is the piece of gear that's doing that. It's turning the ones and zeros, the digital information, whether you're watching a video, playing a video game, it's taking the ones and zeros of that encoded sound and, and turning it into analog that, uh, that can move a speaker coil so that your ears can hear it. That's right. Yeah. And actually when you plug an interface into your computer, you will see um, in the control panel or whatever that it kind of takes over as the sound device for your computer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that, that is absolutely true. And I remember that back actually when I, when I first got started with digital recording, I would just, my uh, my old desktop computer had a little eighth inch line in jack. Oh, yeah. And I would just plug everything into that thing. I would plug my, <laughs> oh, my <laughs> microphones, gosh. guitars, like anything I could get my hands on. And it was, um, the signal to noise ratio was uh, was really bad. <laughs> um, but that's the only way it's I could think times, of. Because, you know, it was really a challenge to think about like, okay, I have this guitar. I have this amp. How do I get that into the computer? It was like not very obvious to me that's the no. only input i could see on the computer was this you know it was like a little in arrow or something and i was like i'm gonna plug into that <laughs> yeah yeah and just see what happens yeah yeah <laughs> all the f fun times fun times so um was that all the gear that you wanted to go over as far as like what everything does yeah, I think that pretty much covers the chain. I do want to mention that. So I have a, a blog post I wrote a little while ago on this. If you want to check that out, you can go to calmfrogrecording.com slash blog, and you can find uh, that post and other posts there. This one is called Explain It Like I'm 85, Intro to Digital Recording. It's got some cool graphics on it. I enjoyed it. Uh, cool. So I guess the next thing, uh, to talk about, and this will be the last thing we touch on in this episode, but it's in some ways the most important. Um, and, and that is it's, it's in the title of the sentence, uh, that I wrote here. What's the most important? 
important part in, we mentioned this big signal chain. So what's the most important part? If you want to get started with digital audio recording and you've never done it before, you know, what, what do I go out and buy first? Like what, what do I spend money on? What do I not have to worry about spending money on? In terms of like spending more money versus less money or like what are the things you don't need at all? <laughs> well, I guess I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, guess, I'm guessing that I equate, I think everything that we mentioned you need, essentially. Yeah, I think now, so. Some, yeah, some of the things that they can be packaged in multiple units. So like Vadim was talking about, um, the interface also, pretty much all of them. I don't know of an interface anymore that doesn't have preamps built into it. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about that. It is a part of the chain, but when you buy an interface, you have your A to D, D to A conversion and your preamps built into that. Uh, so that's one thing you don't have to worry about, but I guess I'm equating uh, the money with the importance. So if I have a strict budget and we don't have to say what the number is, but if I have a limited budget, what are the things that I should spend the most of that budget on versus less? And this is, I'll say this with the caveat of if you already have a computer, because you could go out and spend, I don't know, anywhere from, you could go cheap and spend $500 on a computer, or you could go expensive and spend $25, $3,000 on a computer. Totally, so yeah. I, I'll just assume that we all have computers now, because I think that, you know, no matter where you are, whether you have like a really fast gaming laptop or some hand-me-down or something used you bought on Facebook Marketplace, I think that you can get started with audio recording. So let's just say you already have the computer, but based out of all the signal flow, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, what the most important things are. And uh, if you don't mind, I'll get started with yeah. it. And that's just banter back and forth a little bit, but maybe not as obvious, but once I mention it, you're going to be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But the number one most important thing is your sound source. And that can either be your actual vocal cords, your singing performance, if we'll go back to the vocal example, or that could be, um, well, ultimately it is the human that's performing, but that could be through a guitar, that could be through, and the quality of the guitar is going to have uh, a direct influence on what you capture through this whole process. Like it almost doesn't matter uh, you could be the, uh, well, assuming that you're a good player, but we don't have to assume that. We can go back to that, but let's assume that you're, you know what you're doing, you know how to sing, you know how to play guitar, you know how to drum, whatever it might be. Um, it almost doesn't matter what you have after the, the human that's performing if you have a really crappy instrument. You know, if you have like a really junky drum set that you haven't changed the heads on in 10 years, like you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. You could spend $10,000 on your recording setup and just find out that you have a, uh, a really good digital recording setup to capture really crappy tones. <laughs> that's a really good point, Ben. Yeah. And I think that's kind of goes back to a little bit what we talked about last week with the kind of the pyramid of making a song where the bass is more important, right? So I'll take a great drummer over a great drum set, right? But I'll take a great drum set over like a great set of microphones. And you kind of, the, yeah. the further you go along the process, the less impact you're able to make and the less corrections for previous misgivings you're able to uh, 
to uh, to make. So absolutely, that's a really good point. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it too. So think about it in the order of where the sound's coming from and where where is it going. Like it essentially is, the first thing is kind of the most important. Yeah. Maybe not ultimately, but that's a good like way of thinking about it. If you're if you're not sure about like what do I invest in, well, think about the things that come first. Uh, and I would venture to say that the next most important thing is the interface that you're recording through. And we can you can either agree or argue with me about it. <laughs> so that that's an interesting question, and maybe that's that's a little bit maybe for next episode because I I do think there's the quality of interface the value you get for your dollar has has improved drastically and even though you can still buy some really expensive interfaces i think you can do i would argue for something like vocals your money is maybe better spent on a decent microphone uh, than a decent preamp um but yeah that's an interesting discussion we can get into when we start talking about some gear specifics when you said preamp did you mean interface or we're using that interchangeably? Yeah, in this case, interchangeably. So okay. I'm saying for, you know, you can get, even with an affordable interface, you can get preamps that have a low enough noise floor and will give you a clean enough signal that you can get you can get a pretty good recording out of it. Um, I do think there's a little bit more of a gap between like a really cheap microphone and a slightly more expensive microphone. It almost is like ties into the discussion we were just having where like, you know, an instrument, having a good instrument is more important. You know, being, having good things further up the chain is more important than further down the chain. I kind of think that applies in this case as well. What do you think? I kind of agree with you because I would, I would be willing to record through a $100 interface before I would go... Well, I have some $100 microphones that I still use too, but I, I just wouldn't be afraid of using something very, uh, in a, you know, uh, very affordable, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think, um, there's some like super like bargain barrel, low cost interfaces out there without saying the brand and exactly what they are. Um, I would be a little bit leery about using those, mostly because they look like they're only made out of plastic. <laughs> but I still think it might be worth, I don't know, if, you, if that's all you have the budget for, it's still going to, the crazy thing to me is technology has advanced so much that those interfaces still probably sound better than what most people could get in like the 60s. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. That's just wild to me. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Even with the budget stuff, um, the, the quality has really escalated uh, all, all across the board there. So that sucks, man. You agreed with me. If we agree on everything, it's going to be boring times. I know, we agree on everything. My number third was microphones. Okay. Um, so, but I, I think we kind of, we talked about like, that's kind of interchangeable for like, what's the most important. And it just goes back to what we said earlier, which I think is a good rule of thumb that, you know, the first things that come in the sound source are, are the more important things. Um, I do think it's relatively important to, and I won't necessarily put a number on this of like importance, but I think it's also important to have decent, a decent monitoring system, whether that be 
speakers or professional monitors or headphones to listen back to what you uh, were capturing. And it's worth mentioning because some people could forget about that. And if you just have really cheap, like $10 earbuds, you might not be accurately hearing what you're actually capturing. That's, that's true. I was actually going to say, you know, for the purposes of just production, nice monitors I could maybe take or leave because I, I agree with you on headphones or just something that you can get an honest representation of your recording on. But unless you're going to do like heavy, serious mixing work, uh, you know, monitors, I think are actually one you, you, you may not, it may not be as important to you. I would, I actually, I would say, you know, treating your space and having a well-treated space is going to win out over monitors and give you more bang yeah. for your buck. I'd agree with that. I mean, I would not be afraid at all of going out and buying the cheapest KRK monitors. You know, if you wanted to spend a little bit of money on something to uh, listen back to what you recorded, I, what are the cheapest KRKs? They're like a hundred bucks, aren't they? You I don't know. Like, yeah, like, uh, what's another one? Mackie's maybe make some some pretty yeah. affordable monitors. And yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't hesitate to to do something like that if I was just going the tracking route, especially with headphones you know most of us have decent headphones if we're if we're in recording um you just want something that's gonna just gonna be a little honest with you and the reason people say monitor the they're kind of the difference between monitors and speakers and uh studio headphones versus regular headphones is that the studio grade stuff is trying to keep as flat a frequency response as possible so it's trying mm -hmm. to give you the most honest representation of what you're hearing. You could kind of think of this as like glasses where it might be pleasant to wear sunglasses, but you wouldn't want to, you know, go shopping for paint to paint your walls with and wear sunglasses because you want to actually a great example. see, <laughs> yeah, you want to see the color for what it actually is. That's kind of what we what we're talking about with studio monitors and headphones is you want something that's not going to color the sound too much. And a lot of like Home systems will, you know, they'll tend to have little equalization curves and things to make music sound more pleasant, which is great. It's great to listen on those systems as well, but yeah. it may mask certain problems that you have. Yeah, and I think that that's what I was kind of getting to with just mentioning the monitoring, whether that be headphones or speakers, is that... Mm. So let's just imagine in a way, and maybe... I could take a step back and, and give this as a better rule of thumb. But if you're, um, let's say you dial in a tone and you're a guitar player. You have your amp just freaking cranked. As I, as I like to do, yes. Yes, as we all like <laughs> to do. And it's ballsy. Like it's got so much low end in it and it sounds amazing. Uh, if you only record that and don't listen to what the microphone's actually picking up, you might Mm. fool yourself into thinking you've captured a good tone but so many times and i'm guilty of this as well what i think of a is a good tone uh when i capture it it's the microphone is not picking up what i think it's picking up in the room and there's something about you know the loud music that i'm hearing while i'm playing it has so much energy but when you hear that on you know your tiny monitor setup at a modest volume you might realize oh man, that is way too bright, it's way too harsh, or uh, it's, it's too mid-range thick. And ultimately, like I could give all these colorful examples of what they sound like to me, but 
at the end of the day, it just matters. Are you capturing what you think you're capturing? Like if you're going for a very specific tone, if you want a John Mayer tone and you're not listening to what you're capturing or you don't have a way to listen back to what you're, what you're trying to go for, how do you know that you've achieved that or not? Yeah, absolutely. That is an important so, part. A lot of it is it's an iterative process in a sense. It's record something, listen to it, and adjust. Yeah, it, it is for all of us. And that's why, you know, referencing things like I'll even, even in my fun time of listening to music, to stuff that I enjoy, a lot of times there's 10% of my brain that's analyzing everything that I'm hearing too. Wow, I really dig this track. Like, why do I like those guitars so much? Mm, yep. What is it about the tone that really attracts me to this? And I think that's a listening exercise that I would recommend to anybody. Like, don't turn into like don't turn into too much of a nerd or, you know, allow it to ruin your your enjoyment, but I do like to take note of whenever I find something that is pleasant sounding to me and at least trying to reverse engineer and figure out what is it about this that is enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do a whole episode on that. I, I have a lot of thoughts on that for when it comes to uh, building guitar tones that I'll talk about. Uh, so that's probably a good a good place to wrap it up here. So we kind of we took you through the the signal path of digital audio recording and talked about some of the pieces of gear that are involved. In the next episode, we're going to really dive deeper into those specific pieces of equipment and uh, make some recommendations on where to get started and kind of follow up on this discussion on where to spend your money and what to look for. All right. Well, it's been awesome. We hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you next week. Uh, just remember, check yourself before you wreck yourself. All right. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.